Hey, is anybody excited to be in God's house this morning? Come on, why don't you put your hands together, make some noise. So glad that you're here, and as we always do, I want to look right in the camera and welcome all of you joining us on the other side of computer screens and tablets and phones on our online community. We're so grateful that no matter where you are right now, whether it's states away or maybe you're traveling uh, for the Thanksgiving weekend, you are able to join in with Five Stones. You never have to miss not one weekend. We are so glad that you're a part of the service today. Hey, I'm excited because just in two weeks, we're going to have our first Saturday serve. If you're new to Five Stones, you may not know this. The first Saturday of every month, we just gather together, and we're just the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. We just go out and serve in all kinds of ways. And actually, this first Saturday, we're going to be doing some stuff to help some foster kids and get ready for the, the Christmas season. And so be looking for that. That's exciting. And then in three weeks from today, we will give together in our very first ever legacy offering. And I get really excited about this because this is the one offering that we'll take up a year that goes beyond our our operational budget of the church, and we are going to bless the people in Chattanooga and in the world. There's going to be incredible things that happen with that, so be looking for that. I hope you're praying about that and asking God what you want um, to, to give in that one once-a-year offering. It's going to be exciting. And now it's also exciting because this week is Thanksgiving. Are you excited about Thanksgiving? Yeah? It's kind of a mixed bag. I get some omis and amens. Like, I was having some conversations uh, today in the lobby about like what Thanksgiving is going to be like. And sometimes it can be a little bit challenging. Depends on who you're around with all the in-laws and the outlaws and everybody that you spend around the table. But um, I, I get excited about Thanksgiving. I, re- I really like Thanksgiving. I- I'm pumped up about any holiday that centers around food. Come on, somebody. You know what I mean? Like I- I'm just pumped up about food. I, I-, I think... Thanksgiving is just a great time. Can't wait to see some family members that I hadn't seen in a minute. And I always think, you know, like I think our, our military is the greatest fighting force on the planet. I think they're incredible and they protect us and take care of us. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think that if any enemy ever wanted to conquer us, they just had to wait for about an hour after Thanksgiving dinner, you know? Because they would just come in and say, hey, we're taking over. And we'd be like, I'm fine with that. Just pass me the remote. We're, we're really useless with our top button unbuttoned lying on the couch. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it's just a great time to gather together to eat a whole lot of good food. Did you know this? They did studies. And according to studies, on Thanksgiving Day, 675 million tons of turkey are consumed on Thanksgiving alone. Isn't that amazing? 675 million tons. And I think that's just an East Brainerd. I mean, so... So Thanksgiving is a time that we have a whole lot of fun, and and it can be fun. It can be challenging because it really just depends who you are sharing your table with, right? And and we clearly we have a table here today. And uh, whenever I think about Thanksgiving, I think about my my parents' table. They had a, a giant table, a massive table. Um, we, we had a big family. I have seven brothers and sisters, and so there was a lot of us. And, and we would always, my parents had the same table they had for years, and we would always gather around this big old table. We'd have to put leaves in it to get, make it bigger and bigger, and we would always be gathered around that. In fact, this is the first year, in an, uh, one of the first years in the last, in my whole life, that we're not gathered around that table. We're doing something a little bit differently this year. And maybe, maybe you have a big table in your family. Maybe you've got a small table. I don't know what kind of table that you have in your um, family, but, but tables are actually all throughout Scripture, and we actually have a table of the Lord. There's a table in church, 
And, and that's where we are today is the table of the Lord. If you ever want to do something really fascinating, you ought to go through Scripture and look at all the tables that are in there. Tables are all throughout your Bible. I mean, there, there's all kinds of tables because there's so much that happens at the table. There's so many things that happen and can occur at the table. Actually, you know what the very first table is in your Bible? Anybody know? It's the table of contents. Sorry. I mean, like, they really, if you're new to Five Stones, they don't get better. The, the jokes just get worse from here. But uh, no, I, 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 it's actually, there is the first table that you ever see in Scripture. It's at the tabernacle. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the tabernacle was something that God instituted for the, very, the, the early church, the first church in the Old Testament. See, the Israelites were nomadic. They were having to travel from place to place. They spent 40 years in a desert. And while they were there, God wanted to make sure that, that if they wanted to worship him, they had to set up what was called the tabernacle. Come on, Five Stones, they were a portable church. Come on, somebody. They set up and they tore back down. You know, they set up, did worship, and then they had to tear it all back down. And they got to do it again every time they wanted to worship God. And, and God, it's almost as if he wanted to make sure that this nomadic family, this nomadic group of people would have some permanence in their life. And so he established this, this thing in the tabernacle. Um, inside of it was, would be a smaller tent. And that tent was called the tent of meeting. And this is where the presence of God would dwell. And inside that tent were some pieces of furniture. And, and just a few pieces of furniture that God made sure every time that you set it up, these things have to be there. And one of those things was a table. And this, this table is actually pretty small. It was three feet by one and a half feet, just a little over two feet high. And, and this is what God said. On this table, I want to make sure every time you come together to gather in the presence of God, this table will exist. And he said in Exodus 25, this is what you're to put on it. Put the bread of the presence on this table to be before me at all times. This table actually had a really interesting name. It was called the Table of Show Bread. It, it was as if they, this bread will be shown in the presence of God no matter what. And he said, this is going to happen every time. And, and ta- I want you to make some bread, put it on this table. And he said, I want you to re- really make sure this bread is done right. Actually, in Leviticus, he said, this is how you're supposed to do it. He said, take the finest flour. I want you to get the best ingredients. My, God's bread is going to be good. Come on, somebody. He said, I want you to take the best bread, finest flour, bake 12 loaves of bread. Now, he was very specific about this. Not 13 loaves, not 8 loaves, 12 loaves every single time. And everybody in Israel would have known exactly what that meant because there was 12 tribes in Israel. So as if God was saying, I want to make sure that every tribe is represented, that everyone knows, number one in your notes, this, that you have a place at the table. Every one of us do. We have a place at the table, and it doesn't matter if you've wandered off at some point. God wants you to know you've got a place. He's got a setting set aside for you. You've got a place for, for yourself at the table. God made sure of it. In fact, he describes what the church is supposed to be like in the book of Ephesians through the Apostle Paul when he said this. He says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you're of God's household. Basically, what God says is that when you're with me, you're family. Olive Garden said it too. But God said it first, right? He said, so when, when you're with me, we're family. When we come to the table, you've got a place. And the thing, I've, I've learned some things about tables. Uh, and the longer I've, I've, I've been alive, the longer I've walked with the Lord, I've found that there's some things with the table, whether they're in your family or they're in the church. That, that, here's the truth. The table is supposed to be full of love. The table should be, there should be love at the table. See, the challenge is that we've stopped meeting at the table. Did you know that? We've wandered away from the table. We've gone away from meeting regularly 
at the table. In fact, they did a study, Harvard did a Harvard Health study on, on all these different families, and they, they measured this, and they found out that according to this study, one in two families really struggle. About half of all families struggle to meet together at the dinner table. They just, they're not doing it anymore. In fact, nearly half of the families said it was basically impossible to meet on a regular basis at the dinner table. Less than half of all families surveyed said, the parents said that less than half of them have eaten together six meals in a given week in a very, very long time. It just really isn't happening. In fact, they studied this and they found 60 years ago when, when families would meet together at dinner, do you know how long the average dinner would last? About an hour and a half. That was the average family would meet together, have dinner, and meet for about an hour and a half. That was 60 years ago. You know what it is today? The average dinner in America lasts 12 minutes. 12 minutes. That, that, that's the truth. That's as long as it lasts. The, the truth is we've abandoned the table. We've walked away from the table. And I, I think that has an effect on us. I think that has bearings on, on, on us as a people when we wander away from a table where we used to gather together. I, you know, I love doing life um, with the people in my life. Uh, just as, as I was walking into the church this morning, I was walking through the, the auditorium before things got started, just shaking hands and, and talking with people and seeing faces, some I hadn't seen for a minute. I, I just I started looking at those faces and I started thinking, man, I'm so blessed to be able to be and do life with such amazing people. And the truth is, I, I've, I don't know about you, but I've had moments in my life where I've spent away from the Lord. And I've had moments where I've been with the Lord and his people, and I like it a whole lot more when I'm with him. But, but the, the thing is, the truth is, is you've got to come to the table. Because if you don't come to the table, those things can never exist. But the, the problem is, just like our own dining tables, the same is true of, of the table of the Lord. We're just not meeting at the table as much as we used to. According to statistics it said that, that I studied um, just this week, it says that the average American just comes to church now less than once every two months. It's just been a change. Now, I'm not talking about like the various functions that, that we have, like, like First Saturday Serve projects and all of those things and, and next steps and small groups that, that we have at the church. Listen, we want you to do those things because we know those are, those are good. That's going to make you healthy when you go to those things. But I'm just talking when it comes to the table of the Lord. L less than once every two months people are coming. And, and that's, that, that's got to have an effect on us, Right? Because the, the table of the Lord is where we come to eat. It's the only place where we come to eat together, right? We hear from the Lord together. This is the one place. And so it's, it's important that we do that. Because it, think about how you would feel if you only ate once every two months. Like, right? You, I don't know about you. I'd be hangry. Anybody ever been hangry before? You know what I'm talking about? It's not where you're hungry or you're angry. Like, you're so hungry that you're angry, you get hangry. I've been hangry before, right? If, if you only came and ate once every month, you would be pretty hangry. And can you imagine the awkward conversations that you would have with the group of people gathered there, right? You wouldn't really know anybody deeply, intimately. You couldn't have really good, lasting conversations because you're just not connected with them. And so it's, I think it's important that, that we gather together, that we meet together, and we make sure, make it a priority that we do this. Here's the one thing that I know about tables that I've learned over the years is that the table is a place of love. It's supposed to be. No matter it, whether it's your own table at home or it's the table of the Lord, there, there should be love there. And I'm not talking about ooey-gooey love, you know, or lovey-dovey love, but there has to be love because the table is not just a place where we eat. The truth is we can eat all kinds of places. You could eat sitting up. You could eat standing down. You can go to a fast food restaurant. You can do all kinds of stuff to eat, but the truth is it's at the table that we connect. In fact, number two in your notes, you could write this down. Everyone connects at the table. This is the place where we connect together. And now tables 
are different. They're, they're different places, different people have different kinds of tables, but the one place that we're people meet and connect is at the table. This is where people of all kinds of different backgrounds will meet and connect. The family and my family, we have a particular place at the dinner table, right? Everybody has got their own spot. We didn't plan it. We didn't vote on it, right? But I've got my seat, and Deborah has her seat, and my kids have their seat. And, and when they get out of order, they say, hey, hey, that's my seat, right? It's almost as if something inside of us says, I, I need to have a, a seat. There. I, I need to have an identity there. Like there. There should be some place where I go that if I'm not there at dinner, somebody notices. There should be a place deep down inside of us, I think we're, we're wired this way, that there should be this place where I know if I'm missing, somebody's wondering why and somebody's asking about it. But the truth is there can be friction at the table. As much as there is love, there can also be friction, right? There's always different personalities, and navigating those personalities can be different, right? Maybe this week, as you're thinking about joining together at the Thanksgiving table, you're thinking about the different personalities that you might have to face, and there's always a difficult person at the table, right? Let's just be honest. There's always one difficult person. Maybe it's like a drunk uncle, some of you are looking at me like you've never seen a drunk person before. They exist. I mean, like, it could be that, that a person that's, like, overly passionate about politics. You know, you're thinking about that person and what that conversation is like. Oh, my gosh, she's going to talk about the president for six hours, and it's going to be, we're going to have to get through this. We can do it together. Like, like, or, or maybe it, that person is just chronically, notoriously late. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're thinking about telling them, hey, Thanksgiving's for breakfast this year in, in hopes that maybe they get there on time. I don't know what your difficult person, raise your hand if you've got a difficult person in your family. To spend, yeah, if, uh, there's always one difficult person, right? And so if you didn't raise your hand, I think we found them, right? Like, the, the thing is, there's always somebody that's difficult at that table. I've got difficult people at my table. Years ago, I, I had a, we'll call her Aunt Peggy. Um, and I call her Aunt Peggy because she was basically my aunt. Um, she was common law married to my weird uncle Mike. Okay, now my, I love Mike. Mike was my favorite uncle, man. He was he was equally odd and weird. But and by the way, Peggy's been been with the Lord for years now. So like the statute of limitations has officially passed. I can make fun of her just in case. So I put put you at ease there. But but Peggy was was how do I word it? She was um, socially awkward. Okay, uh, and I think it'd be more accurate to say she was weird. I mean, like, you got a weird family member? Anybody got a weird family? Uh, she, Peggy was our weird family member, right? And, and, and Peggy would almost notoriously, like, every time at Thanksgiving, I always found myself sitting here, and Peggy sat here. You know what I mean? And, and I have a sister that I'm almost positive orchestrated that entire thing because she would put herself on the opposite side of the table to watch my reaction, you know? Because Peggy was one of those folks that, that just like, hey, listen, we all got medical things, right? We all got difficulties and struggles that we go through. But there's just some things you don't want to hear about when you're passing the candied yams. You know what I'm talking about? And, and Peggy would always talk about the medical stuff, you know? And, and I was always the one that ended up sitting there next to it while my sister cackled on the other side of the table. And I'll never forget, I was sitting there one time, and, and I'm sitting there eating the meal, and she is talking about some fungal thing or, or some topical cream and you know I'm just trying to muscle through it or whatever and, and while she's talking I'm sitting there trying to listen I'm like knee deep in the mashed potatoes and she Peggy used to talk like this she would go hey, did you know and this is how she talked and she said one time did you know that there's a cure for wrinkles and I said wrinkles really you know I'm just eating the mashed potatoes man I just want to get through the meal and and she says yes I said you know and I'm just trying to be kind I'm trying to make conversation I said what, what what's the cure for for wrinkles and she said a newborn baby urine 
That's what I did too. I, like I barely could stammer out, I'm sorry, what? And she said, newborn baby, you're an... I said, well, how, 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 how do you even... And she said, yeah, you just take a newborn baby diaper in you. And, and I was like, you ever seen that, like the face that, that Bugs Bunny makes in the cartoons when he hears something where he's like, oh, yeah, like that was what I was doing as my sister cackled away. Sometimes there can be some difficult conversations that happen at the table, right? There can be some confusion that happens at the table. And my weird Aunt Peggy, sometimes the truth of the matter is, is you've always got some weird family members. There can be some confusion at the table, but there should always be love. There should always be love at the table because we got this bond, right, that's there. Like, I can call her crazy, but you better not call her crazy because she's my people, right? And that's what the, the table is supposed to be like. Like, like we got this, this table where there's, there's a bond that exists. Yes, there's frustrations. I, I'm sure that there have been, over time, people that have left this church because of frustrations. Maybe they, they, they didn't get along with um, a decision that was made or they felt like someone rejected them. And that's, that's never what we want, but there's... There have been moments, I'm sure, where, where somebody thinks, man, the church should be handled one way and I want it done another way. But there's always, there should always be this place where we always come back, where there's understanding because there's a bond there. Even if there's frustrations. Over the time, I've, I've had conversations with people. And as the church continues to grow, we're getting bigger and bigger. And now can, we're into two services and we're excited about everything that's happening. I talked to somebody one time and they, they, we were talking in the lobby and they said they were so happy to come to Five Stones because where they were was such a large church and this is small and they were happy about that. And, and I was glad to have them at the church, but honestly, I, I looked at them and I, I said, well, what was too big about it? Like, was there too many people getting saved? Too many marriages being restored, or was there or too many people getting baptized, or too many children and students worshiping God and that? Like, like what, was, what was too big about it? Because the truth is, I understand where they were coming from. Like, there, there's a way that you can get lost in a church, and that's why we have small groups. This is a way to keep a big church as we continue to grow bigger and bigger, smaller. But at the end of the day, God wants his church to grow. Healthy things grow. God is looking for his church to grow and expand and, and continue to get, grow, to get bigger and bigger. And every week we see brand new faces at Five Stones, and I'm grateful for that. I love to see all the new faces, and the truth is, the, rem, the thing to remember is that the church, God's church, should be growing. God wants every church to grow. Every church in this community, every church on the planet should be growing. Healthy things grow. And here's the truth, number three, God wants new people sitting at his table. That's just a true statement. If you read all throughout Scripture, God is saying, I want to, to, to reach more people. I want you to go after those. Compel them to come. One, one story in the Bible talks about the dinner table, and he says, go out to there, and I want you to compel them to come in because I want my, my house to be full. I want my table to be full. God likes a full table. This is why the legacy office offering in a few weeks is so important because there's going to be a portion of that that goes beyond the walls of this church to go reach people that are far from God and pull them into life in Christ. This is why everything that we do to go and get those people that are far, these, this is the reason why those people in your family, those people in your work, those people that are related to you, if they're far from God or they don't have a table that they're coming to, God wants you to reach them and pull them into that, pull them into relationship. But sometimes people can get confused. Like, why does, the, why does it seem this way? Why is it like that? Why does the church, why is it so loud? Why is it louder? Why, why is there aggravations, right? Why, why can't I, I see um, the, the more excitement? Why isn't there more dancing? Why isn't there less dancing? Like, like, there can be all of these conversations that happen, and at the end of the day, we have to have a bond. We have to have a decision to say that we are together in this. The Bible calls that covenant, that we don't just up and leave, 
but that we are together in this. Listen, let me tell you this. I promise you this fact. There are no perfect churches. Not one. There's not one perfect church. And if you do happen to find it, don't go there. You'll ruin it, right? Because we're imperfect people, right? And so there can't be a perfect church. And so everyone, just like there's no perfect family, and, and families have difficulties and, ha- and families have struggles, but we have to decide to say together. See, here's the problem. that The, the, lie, the lie of the enemy, has tried, he's tried to per- perpetrate this. And, and he's tried to explain this to people and get people to believe this. And here's the lie. The lie is that you have to have it together. You have to be perfect in order to sit at this table. Well, the truth is that's not, not true at all. In fact, none of us are, t- are, are perfect. The only fact, the only reason why we can sit at this table at all is because there was one perfect person that made the ability for us to sit here. That, the grace and the, 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 the power that Jesus had to give us the opportunity to sit at this table. You don't have to have it together to sit at this table. Which makes me wonder sometimes, do you think God likes a, 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 a neat table or a messy table? You know, when it's just like a mom and a dad, like when, when it's just two of us, th- then the table is always neat. I remember when Deborah and I were first married, she would always have these beautiful centerpieces. She'd, she took together, put, put, put this one together too. She, I would come home and she would have these beautiful centerpieces. And I'd think, wow, that's, that's lovely. And then we had kids, right? And then I, like, like if, you've had, if you're a parent with kids, you know what I'm talking about? That table is never neat. I mean, they're constantly cramming a mashed potato or a green bean in something. Like, there's always some crust of something that is on the table. They're just, it's just never neat. I'll, I'll never forget, there was this one time I came home, and, and, and it had been, it was the first time in I don't know how long that we made it through a whole meal. No one was crying. No one was fussing. There was no fights that was happening. There was no spills the whole night. We made it through the whole night without any of that. First time in I don't know how long. The kids were at their grandparents' house, but um, because the truth is, is when you have kids, right, it can be messy. When you have little ones, when you have new believers, it can be messy. And I believe that God says, I, I think my table ought to be messy. I think it says a lot about the condition of a person's heart by who they allow at the table, who, who they allow to come sit with them. In fact, it was actually Jesus who got in a whole lot of trouble about sitting with all the wrong people at tables. In his day, the culture was entirely different than ours. To sit at a table with somebody was, was different. To share a meal with somebody was an extension of acceptance. We said, okay, you get my protection. We're, we're going to share a life together. A shared table was a shared life. And, and Jesus sat with all kinds of people in his life. And, and, and it meant that, that he was going to be scrutinized. Because as soon as the religious people saw some of the people that Jesus was sitting with, Boy, they went ballistic. This is how they said it. It said, the Pharisees saw this, and they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? In another place, it says, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Like they couldn't get their head around it. See, this is so incredible to me because Jesus never apologized about this. And you know what? He never stopped doing it. He kept offering his table. He kept sitting at tables that that he shouldn't have been at. The truth of the matter is, is, is your table comes with a cost. There will always be a cost to sit at this table. Like, like there's always a cost here. I don't know what the cost will be. Maybe the cost will be your reputation at work. Maybe the cost will be your reputation at school to, to invite somebody to sit with you. Maybe your reputation is, is, is so big that you, you have trouble sharing a seat with somebody. Jesus never had that problem. Maybe the cost will be something that you sacrifice at Legacy to make sure that there's room at the table for somebody. I don't know what the cost, but it always comes at a cost. 
I'll never forget there was this one time we went out to eat, and, and we were at one of those restaurants, and I was hangry. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, uh, it, the day was wearing on, and I was getting hungry, and we went to this restaurant, and, and we asked for, for, for a seat, and there's, our, t- our family was all together, and we had some other people with us, and, and it was one of those restaurants where the bread smells like the breath of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, like I'm just sitting there soaking it all in. I'm like, man, I've got to eat. I am hungry. And, and it was like, to make matters worse, it felt like they were ignoring us. You know what I mean? Like, like the next person would sit down and I was like, I'm, I know we were here before them. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you ever get to that place and you're like, man, all right. So we're sitting there and we're waiting and waiting and smelling bread and I'm getting hungrier and hangrier. And, and then finally they said, Mr. Watson or Tom or whatever. And we said, yes, here we are. That's where you walk by everybody else and like, ha loser, see you. You know what I mean? Like, like you're so excited. Just sit down. It's like I've, I've won. And so I got there and no sooner did we sit down. I sat down in the chair, but another server came by and they said, uh, uh, excuse me, there's actually another family that, that really wanted to sit in this seat. Would you, would you mind to move to this other table? And I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, I started to bow up inside, you know. I'm like, no, I can't. I, I, like, they can wait as long as we waited, you know. Like, we were waiting here for some time. They can wait there, too. And as I'm thinking this, my lovely wife, Deborah, says, yes, that would be fine. And I thought, but, you know, it is aggravating to live with a Christian woman. Like, you need to backslide sometimes. And so I chimed in too. I said, no, that would be great. You know, the, the truth is, is, is sometimes it can be uncomfortable because sometimes you find a comfortable seat at the table and you don't want to move to make room. But Jesus says, my table, you need to make room at the table. In fact, number four, you can write this down. Have you made room at the table? That's the question. Have you made room at the table? Look at the people that Jesus chose to make room for. I love this. Like he ate with all kinds of people, but... I want to look real quickly at the first group of people that were at his table. These, these are the people that he chose to come to the table with. Watch this. The Bible says that, that these are the 12 apostles. These are the names. First, there was Simon, who's called Peter. Now, even if you haven't walked with the Lord for any amount of time, you, you're familiar with Peter, right? Because he's in all the jokes. You know, like when you get to heaven, there's Peter and the pearly gates and the whole thing. But Andrew's next. Andrew was, his, was the next one. He probably hates those jokes because he was the one that introduced Peter to Jesus, and you don't even know anything about Andrew. And so you don't hear anything about him. It says, then there's James, the son of Zebedee, his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. I think that's interesting. Why does it tell us what his job was, his occupation. It doesn't tell us anybody else's occupation. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it says, James, son of Alphaeus and, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. Here's another interesting description. It's not an occupation, but Simon was a zealot. And then Judas, who betrayed him. Do, do, do you think we could learn anything about the people that sat next to Jesus at this table? Well, the first one I, I just can't help but to think about is, is at this seat was Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. Now, I don't know if you know much about tax collectors in that day, but they weren't well liked by anybody. Because, like, like there was, in that culture, there was like sinners, right? They're here, and then tax collectors. Like, they were really bad. Because a tax collector decided what they were going to do is be a sellout to their own people. They would go and collect the taxes for the Roman government who were oppressing the Jewish people, and they would give that money to the Roman government so that they, they could oppress their people some more. And not only that, but what they also did was skim off the top. So they would take a little bit from their own people who were in poverty, and they would use that. And yet, Matthew was the guy who wrote this book. Matthew was the one who wrote the, the, the words that we hear in this, that he was a tax collector. Now, why would the guy who wrote the book make sure that you know that he was a tax collector? 
See, I think it's because he wants you to know who Jesus will make room for at the table. That, that Matthew was trying to say, listen, I, I'm allowed to sit with him, and that's the kind of guy that I used to be. See, at some point, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The unfortunate thing is some will figure that out really late, and it'll be too late. And so, so he, he was able to sit at the table. What actually what was interesting, though, even more so to me than that, was the fact that right next to Matthew, at least at some tables, was Simon. Simon was a zealot. Anybody know, what's, know somebody that was zealous about something? Like maybe you got a family member that's zealous, like they're zealous about politics, and you just know that at the Thanksgiving table, he's going to talk about the president, and we're going to have to sit through a conversation on how he is handling the country, right? You ever, you ever think about that? Well, I think what's interesting is like a zealot is actually somebody that's passionate. He would be passionate. Simon the zealot would have been passionate about his nation. See, a zealot wanted to see the nation of Israel return back in strength where it was before the Romans, and they would absolutely have hated two people. They would have hated anybody that was a Roman, and you know who else they would hate? Tax collectors. And yet, somehow, Jesus brought them both to the table, and they were both able to sit next to one another. Have you noticed today how there's such political tension, racial tension, how there's these these tensions that exist and it's almost as if somebody's behind the scenes trying to fan the flames to get it to run out of control. I think it's, it, it's interesting. Like, if you've ever thought about that, you think, man, how is that ever going? How are we going to get past that? How are we going to heal that? Is it possible? That's why I love the local church, because it's only at the table of the Lord that two people can be so diametrically opposed and yet still sit at the table. This is the way that God did it. I, I, I think about that, and I think about there was a time in our country we're the two political parties, right? We could disagree, and we would. We'd say, I, I disagree on, on your strategy and how you think that we should run things. And, and I disagree on what you think and how this person should be taxed. And, and, and yes, we could disagree, but we could sit at the same table. But have you noticed now it's like the members of Congress hate each other, right? The political parties are just at each other's throat. I think about what's going to happen next year, and I, I start thinking, man, it used to be that we could just disagree. Now it's like you, you don't have to just fail. I want you to fail and die and get cancer. You know I mean? Like it's just gotten to this place where we can't sit at the table anymore. This is why it's so important that we sit at the table. See, Jesus was the one that said, if you want to be at this table, you got to learn how to forgive, man. He said that, in fact, he said this way, the way, the level at which you forgive is the way I'll forgive you. There's always forgiveness at the table, at the Lord's table. Then we had Doubting Thomas, right? That's what we call him, Doubting Thomas. I, I think it's funny that we call him that because never anywhere in Scripture do I ever find a place where Jesus ever called him Doubting Thomas. Like, I, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you can find a place where Jesus said, hey, bring Doubting Thomas. He never called him that. Thomas just did what any one of us, he did what I would do. Jesus is popping in. He's appearing at places. He's walking through walls. He, and he's doing all these things that, and appearing after he's been dead he came back to life and Thomas says uh uh I don't believe it man Uh, if that's true I don't know if you guys are smoking some kind of something but I hadn't seen it I want to see it for myself if that's true because the same Jesus that you're talking about I watched him get beaten I I watched him be nailed to that tree and if he's existing again I got to see it with my own eyes and Jesus showed up and he showed him you know where he showed up at the table 
Thomas at that point said, my Lord and my God. He had this, this awakening moment because revelation can happen at the Lord's table. And then there was Judas. And Judas, you know, we know him as the money man, right? Judas had an issue with money. Judas was the kind of guy that we would have run a background check on at church and we would have said, keep him away from the loot, right? And Jesus said, hey, have a seat at my table. In fact, Jesus said, why don't we put him over the money? We know this from Scripture. The one person that was after Jesus that would have the most respect would have been Judas because they trusted him enough to handle the money. And, and, and it's in light of the fact that Jesus himself would have known that Judas has got an issue with money. And yet he put him in charge of it. What does he tell us about Jesus? He says, listen, I know the mistake that you're going to make in 15 years from now. He knows the stupid thing that I'm going to do. And yet he still says, come sit at the table. That kind of grace is amazing. He says, this is the kind of grace that we should have for other people. We know that Peter denied the Lord. And he struggled with that. He had this, this difficult moment. But, but Judas, when he had his, his failings, when he did what he did, he just couldn't get over it. Jesus, when he rose from the dead at the tomb, he appeared to some women. And he told them. By the way, they were the first evangelists on the planet. They were the first one to preach the gospel ever. He trusted that gospel to these women to say, go, carry the truth, the best, the greatest, the highest truth that there ever existed in the universe, that Jesus Christ did not stay dead, but he got back up. He entrusted it to these women. He said, go preach that message to my brothers. And he said, make sure you tell them. And he said this, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter. Now, you know that had to mess with Peter. Because that's the one thing that, it, that he was wrestling with. That, that I've let Jesus down in this big, massive way. And you know when they came and they told him that, they said, hey, he said, what did he say? What did he say? Well, he said to go tell the disciples and Peter. And, and Peter must have been like, wait, 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 did he say it just like that? Like exactly like that? Like the disciples and Peter? And they were like, yeah, the disciples and Peter. Well, in other words, go tell the, my followers, my believers, guys that were with me and Peter see it's as if Jesus said I know that you're going to deal with that thing I know that you're struggling with that area that you think you dropped the ball in such a massive way and I'm not going to ignore it I'm not going to sweep it under the rug I'm going to address it I'm going to bring it to your attention and I'm going to make a way so that you could get back to me and restore you I think about Judas and I think if he had just not gone and done what he did, if he had not just, he had gotten to a place where he couldn't walk back from, if he had not done that, I am confident, boy, I'm confident that Jesus would have told them, go and get my disciples and tell Peter and whatever you do, tell Judas. You've got to tell Judas because I love that guy because there's forgiveness at the table. There's understanding at the table. Jesus knew every one of us would fail at some point and he makes a way that you can come back to the table when Jesus died all of his disciples that were sitting at this table with him that he had washed their feet that he would prepared for them to fail because I think Jesus knows that when you follow him some dirt's going to cling to you and he had washed all their feet when, when the moment came where Jesus died they scattered 
and, and, and they were, went in all these different directions. And, and they were, the Bible says that some of them were, were so sad, so depressed, because what they had got in their head was that this was going to be a different table, that Jesus was going to be a king, a literal king, that he was going to raise himself up to a place, and everybody that sat here would have positions of power and authority. They would sit at his cabinet. And so when Jesus died, they thought, this is it, man. It's all gone, because they tried to turn Jesus into something that he wasn't. And so when he died, it was hard for them to wrestle with this. They were sad and depressed. The Bible says that some of them were walking down this road to Emmaus. And as they walked down this road, Jesus actually appeared to them. And they were so focused on their issues, they didn't even recognize that it was Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, tell me what happened. And they were like, are you the only person on the planet that doesn't know what's going on? And they tell them the story. And they don't even realize that they're walking with Jesus and he walks with them. And then their eyes are opened. You know where their eyes were opened? At the table. He came and he sat with them. He broke bread with them and then they realized it was Jesus the whole time. This is for somebody here today. Maybe you've been struggling with something. You're wrestling with something. You're, man, I'm, I'm giving God. I'm serving. I'm praying. Why haven't you showed up on this thing? Have you forgotten me? Are you abandoning me? Did, did, you, did you forget what I've been praying about, God? Are you paying attention? Are you even looking at what's going on here? I'm here to tell you that you're going to come to the realization that Jesus is here. He's been there the whole time. He hasn't left. He never will leave. He's walking there right there with you, and your eyes will be open if you'll come to the table you got to come to the table. Maybe you've got a family like mine, and in my family, there's, there's always two tables at Thanksgiving. There's the, the family table, the adult table, where we all eat, right? This is where the adults go. That's the table you want to be at. And then there's the plastic one, right? The kids' table. You know what I mean? And, and like, you'd do anything to get away from that table. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you always think to yourself, like, I just want to be at that table. That's the table I want to be at. What have I got to do to get away from the plastic kids' table and over to that table? You know, that's what we, uh, you always want to know. It's like somebody had got to die in order for me to graduate from this table to that table. And the truth is, the same is true of the Lord's table. Somebody had to die in order for you to have a seat at this table. Jesus gladly gave up his seat. He said, I'll, I'll get up from my seat. I'll, I'll pay the price so that you could have a seat at my table. He did what was necessary. He did what you couldn't do. He lived a life that you couldn't live. He died the death that was due you so that you could sit at this table. 